Recording from the Sunshine City, St. Petersburg, Florida, overlooking beautiful Tampa Bay, this is the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute. This podcast is dedicated to medical professionals and patients around the world interested in diagnostic and interventional ultrasound. Our podcast will discuss everything ultrasound, from news, trends, career paths, new technology, and industry updates. Hosted by Lori Green and Tricia Rio of Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, they bring over four decades of experience in the ultrasound profession and are here to guide you through this journey. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sonography Lounge, sponsored by Gulf Coast Ultrasound Institute, where we discuss all things ultrasound. I'm Lori Green, and I will be co-hosting today's episode with Trisha Rayo. Hello, everybody. We are so excited to have everybody with us today, uh, and the topic that we're going to be discussing is on veterinary ultrasound. And so... As many of you may know, veterinary ultrasound has rapidly expanded over the years and offers so many benefits for our furry friends and their owners. So this episode also carries over into uh, not only new applications or expanding applications in ultrasound, but also into our Ultrasound Career Pathways series that we offer, which allows everyone to kind of hear about uh, different experiences from sonographers and how they've expanded their skill set into uh, different career paths. And so today, of course, that would be involving uh, expanding your skills into veterinary ultrasound and some of the opportunities that uh, this may present to enhance your career path. Yeah, it's exciting. So we're so happy to have with us one of our regular faculty members, Miss Emily Downs, as well as her business partner, Michelle Sima. And they own a veterinarian ultrasound company and have enjoyed some rapid growth in their region. So welcome, Emily and Michelle. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. We're so happy to have you here with us. So we'll just uh, get this uh, podcast rolling here. And uh, let's start off by you telling us just a little bit about your ultrasound background and how you decided to start your veterinary uh, ultrasound business called Fur. Sure. Um, So I actually started my ultrasound career at Colorado State University Veterinary Teaching Hospital using ultrasound to diagnose pneumonia in rabbits. Um, so as a result of that, I decided to pursue my passion for ultrasound and I attended University of Colorado's diagnostic medical sonography program with Emily as my program director. So that's how we met. Um, yeah, I then worked in human medicine for several years before transitioning back to the veterinary world and I was an education specialist. So I traveled the country teaching veterinarians how to use their old, their new ultrasound machines. And through that, I realized that veterinarians don't have the time to fully learn how to perform thorough and diagnostic ultrasound. You know, what we learned in years of ultrasound school, they were trying to learn in one or two days. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, ultrasound is the most dangerous imaging modality as it's completely operator dependent. So the need in the field for capable sonographers is really apparent to me. And I reached out to Emily and here we are with focused ultrasound resources. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's definitely been an adventure. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so Michelle is, is amazing in her background uh, has, has really 
helped our business grow and um, a little bit about my background. Uh, as Michelle said, I was a program director at University of Colorado uh, for the ultrasound program. But I started my education in a radiation sciences program at the University of Nebraska. So after I graduated from there, went on specialized in ultrasound. Um, and just for a little additional background, the ultrasound program at uh, University of Colorado is very, very accelerated. Um, so as Michelle said, most ultrasound programs are, you know, two to four years. So it does take a long time to, you know, obtain a really comprehensive and uh, proficient uh, skill set at ultrasound. Um, so that is kind of my background. Uh, so lots of academics and teaching, uh, just like Michelle. And we reconnected a couple of years ago and started talking about this. And here we are today. And it's been just an amazing adventure and so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that it's a lot of fun working with the um, different animals. And do you uh, primarily focus on small animals or do you do both large and small animals? We focus primarily on small animals. Um, we are getting into exotics. So that's been really fun. One mm -hmm. of our sonographers just worked with a bearded dragon the wow. other day. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> that is very cool. Yes. Um, there's a lot of different opportunities yeah, in, in veterinary medicine, I'm sure. And I know that um, we work uh, every once in a while, we used to uh, do some uh, veterinary ultrasound just from a, from a educational standpoint. Um, but what we see here in Florida anyway, is a lot of, uh, veterinarians want to be able to offer ultrasound services and uh, they purchase their system and then they end up going to a one or two day um, training uh, program and, and they have their wet labs where they can practice scanning and so forth. But they quickly realize when they get back that, you know, being able to scan proficiently really requires a little bit more training and supervised scanning just like it is in the human market and being able to run their practice and then also take care of the scanning and interpretation becomes a bit overwhelming and ultimately that new ultrasound machine gets pushed to the side and serves as a dust collector. So yeah. um, <laughs> I can see where, uh, you know, your business definitely is not only helpful to the veterinary practice, but um, also helps them to office offer their uh, patients and the owners of their patients um, a lot more services that can benefit and ex enhance their um, quality of care. So uh, we'll talk about, mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit later, a little bit more about more training and things like that. But um, I, I know firsthand from that, I've seen in different veterinary practices that, oh, you got an ultrasound machine. Yeah. yeah. We don't know how to use it. <laughs> it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah. You don't just, you know, as I always say, sometimes wand. people say to wave the magic wand and then they think the images are going to pop right out at them. So, but, um, but with that, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, it's so exciting. And every day is a new day, right? <laughs> that sure is. <laughs> yeah. When absolutely. I was in school, I went to the University of Cincinnati and one of our field trips that we took was to the Cincinnati Zoo and we observed them scanning a Sumatran rhino. She was pregnant. And they're very, um, oh, cool. they're endangered. So it was a big deal to the zoo that she was pregnant, she was doing well, and they were doing serial ultrasounds on her to make sure her fetus was doing well. And it was really exciting, but 
I definitely don't think I'd want to be scanning a Sumatran rhino because they have very thick skin. <laughs> so you can imagine you can't just scan them on top of their skin. You actually no. have to go rectally. There's so. a different way of doing it. The, that zookeeper had her arm <laughs> up to her shoulder in that Sumatran rhino, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, some good, some not so good, right? <laughs> Well, let's move on. Yeah. Um, you know, there's obviously, as we've been talking about, a lot of benefits of using ultrasound in a veterinarian practice. But it seems that your larger multi-imaging vet practices are the primary ones offering this service. Um, can you share with us why you think that is, you know, um, and why veterinarian ultrasound is vastly underutilized in this country? So basically, like, out in the field, vets are really only taught that we can scan abdomens and hearts. They don't know the other applications for thyroids, um, ocular, musculoskeletal, anything like that, but it's we can totally apply it to veterinary medicine. Yeah, yeah I mean, that just makes like sense. human medicine. I mean, really anywhere you can put a transducer down, we can we can take a look at those things. Um, but also just goes back to training and making sure that you have some. Um, education in musculoskeletal um, and um, cross-training, of course, into small animal and those different insertion points and, um, and knowing the approach. And one of the things that we always talk about, Michelle and I talk about, is the physics, um, understanding which transducer should be used for different applications and understanding those settings that go along with those transducers. And some of that, I think, is um, not covered in veterinary professional education. So I think that's where sonographers can play such a huge role because as all of the sonographers know, um, our favorite subject, acoustic physics, is uh, very important um, and is covered in detail. So that's something that we feel is, is really important for that deeper understanding um, of imaging, particularly in mm -hmm. um, other applications. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think for the general public, too, as all sonographers know general public thinks ultrasound is just for pregnancy scans. Mm -hmm. um, we actually had a Dalmatian that we did a pregnancy scan on and they wanted the images because they were throwing a puppy shower for her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's too funny. That's adorable. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, I think it's interesting mm -hmm. that you mentioned that, you know, a lot of um, veterinary practices um, mainly think that the ultrasound can only be utilized for abdominal and cardiac examinations, which I think initially that probably was the case. But just like in in uh, point of care ultrasound in the human market, that you start with these primary areas and applications, but you quickly realize that just as in the human market, we can scan just about anything, and um, there's no reason why it can't be applied to the um, veterinary market as well. And so it's a little bit of um, expanding the veterinarian's knowledge as to what can and cannot mm -hmm. be done, and then, um, mm -hmm. of course, having, having experienced sonographers uh, to perform these exams if the uh, veterinarian is not already experienced in doing ultrasound, but they probably don't even think about those different applications. And obviously, you know, animals get uh, injuries that need to be assessed from a musculoskeletal standpoint. Well, that's or what ocular, I was going to say. Like MSK seems like a big I know, one. Hips and, yeah. you know, spraining mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. limbs and or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
for even for abdomen exams, um, I think there's a lot that sonographers can add to a more comprehensive approach mm-hmm. for diagnostic abdomen. Uh, just again, with our knowledge of color Doppler and pulse wave Doppler, um, in actuality, there's actually, there's not a lot of literature or, um, standards or nomograms in place that really describe what appropriate velocities are, right. um, you know, for a specific breed or a main portal vein or, or even sizes of organs. So that's something that, um, we're excited about. Um, part of our company's mission and vision is to add to that research and um, help even those abdomen exams become more useful and comprehensive. That's something we're really, really proud of that we can provide to the oh. field. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, and, and uh, much needed in the industry. So we talked a little bit about that. So are, would you say that in your practice and the various um, veterinary offices that you go to that your most common applications are abdominal and cardiac, or are you seeing that these other um, applications are expanding in use as you um, educate the veterinarians? Yeah, I think the majority of our, our bread and butter is certainly abdomen exams, um, and especially at uh, our urgent care or emergency clinics. A lot of our patients are presenting for pretty critical uh, indications or, or symptoms, uh, trauma, or unfortunately, a lot of dogs and specific breeds get cancers. So we definitely are looking for neoplasms that may have ruptured. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for a lot of hemoabdomens. So I, I would say abdomens are bread and butter. But uh, again, I think our skill set allows us to kind of branch out a little bit more and think out of the box. So if uh, there is a musculoskeletal need or indication, we, we don't necessarily shy away from any of those other modalities um, or applications. Yeah, great. Are you guys doing a lot of uh, GI imaging for bowel obstructions? Because we all know our puppies love to eat stuff they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. On a daily basis. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Starn dogs. <laughs> yes. Well, I would say... That was one of the hardest transitions from human medicine is is learning the whole GI tract. Yeah. Yeah. GI tract and adrenal glands are um, some of the two, probably the two biggest major differences between human and veterinary ultrasound. Oh. So, from yeah, from an ultrasound is, appearance or scanning technique or both or? Um, both, I would say. Both. Uh, yeah, both. Yep. And also, you know, in human medicine, it's, you certainly can look at bowel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the most part, there's not a lot of, you know, colon, evaluate the colon. If, if there's a suspected polyp or... Oh, yeah. oh that's true. Yeah. You know, those patients, those, they're going to go to CT. Yeah. Um, but enteritis and a, a lot of inflammatory bowel diseases in veterinary medicine that's what we're evaluating for. So okay. we, we essentially mm. evaluate the entirety of the GI tract. Oh, so wow. wow. Definitely, yes. Yep. From stomach um, all the way down to the descending colon. And so that's, that's probably, as Michelle said, it's the biggest part of the transition from human um, to small animal and identifying all of those foreign objects <laughs> that yes. get lost <laughs> into various segments of the bowel. Okay. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the most important parts of our job for those um, hunts for foreign bodies 
is determining where they are because it's really important for a surgical approach um, in terms of, of what techniques they're going to use. If it's going to be something that they can take out with a scope versus they actually, you know, need to do um, an incisional approach. So mm, that's, that's where um, our job is very, very important um, to make sure that we are identifying those different segments of bowel mm-hmm. and locating things specifically. How cool. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, we've had some pr- pretty interesting things come out and we love our relationship <laughs> with our, a lot of our doctors and our surgeons that we work with. It's great. We get a lot of follow-up and a lot of pictures of items that have come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> we love following up. Um, Michelle, we've had what was one of our recent ones that we've had? Uh, uh, you had that two feet of green ribbon. Two oh, out of that dog. Two <laughs> yep. feet. Wow. Two feet. And th- and nobody was really even sure. This is a great case, actually. The x-ray, they, they often take x-rays and they can see evidence of the obstruction if it's not obstructive. But the x-ray was really pretty inconclusive. And um, so the veterinarian ordered the ultrasound the, the patient's owner had said i i'm not sure i think there was a little piece of string hanging out of my cat's mouth but i wasn't really sure and so it, it was a pretty um surprising finding uh that there was that much ribbon and you said <laughs> it was a cat <laughs> so it was a cat a cat yep. ate that? That's, and it was that's odd. it was thick it, it was thick ribbon that is odd <laughs> very wide yeah. yep yeah. That's that's interesting yeah. and, and probably happens more frequently than people really think. But I, I, just a quick story of my my daughter had this puppy that she got, and um, this was years ago, many, many years ago. And um, she had him in a cage, you know, but for when she went to work. But she, she covered the cage with this uh, comforter that had, um, you know, was cotton filled, you know, the yeah. plushy. The polyfill. Yeah, that yeah. polyfill. And that dog while she was at work start somehow pulled that comforter into the cage part of it anyway enough to be able to chew on it and got you know some of that cotton stuff in and then of course it it was not doing well and so she took it to the vet and they x-rayed her and they said oh it's really kind of inconclusive and I'm like are you kidding me this dog has clear-cut symptoms of a bowel obstruction there's got to be something Mm -hmm. in there and so I scanned it and you could see clear as day where the bowel obstruction was you could see the cottony stuff you know it was really bright and white and echogenic and and I'm like you got to either take it back to this vet with these pictures or you need to go to a different vet and so she went to a different vet Mm -hmm. that did have ultrasound they rescanned and said yep sure enough and they had to do you know surgical removal of it but but it's it was you know that was I don't know, at least 10 years ago, it might have been 15, you know, that that happened. But See, but, you were starting veterinarian ultrasound back then. <laughs> I'd done a little bit of it, just, you know, <laughs> dabbling in it, just because I knew someone that did, that's what they did, it was kind of like you, Michelle. He worked with a, a veterinarian ultrasound education company, and mm-hmm. um, we had done some video veterinary ultrasound videos together. And we okay. went, went to a vet lab and we did our demos and stuff like that. But he was clearly the expert. Mm-hmm. I was just there kind of helping to navigate the, the process. But um, 
but I did learn a lot from that whole process and, and it was, it was pretty fun, but it's nice that you have that mm -hmm. ability to check things out when you need to, you know, especially cause those things mm -hmm. always happen on a weekend, you know, yep. a holiday weekend at that probably. Oh, always. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. So. Yeah. You guys will be busy this weekend. <laughs> Yeah. It's Labor Day. It's Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, and you bring a good po point up, Lori. It's it's amazing how many places um, practices don't have access to ultrasound um, or ultrasound services. Um, in fact, one of our one of our employees uh, had a pet that needed an ultrasound, and in her community, they did not have ultrasound anywhere in their community. Um, and her pet, her pet ended up passing, mm. and now she is providing ultrasounds to her community and surrounding areas, um, which was essentially non-existent. So we're really, really excited to have her um, out there and providing that service for all the pets in her area. Yeah, Aww. she's doing it for her pups. Definitely a need. Definitely a need in the communities uh, for more of that. So, so, um, you know, this leads us into, you know, we've been discussing how you're both experienced sonographers and you've had experience both in the human market and as well as education and, um, expanding your skills to veterinary medicine is, is super exciting as we've been discussing and it offers some new and rewarding opportunities, not only for the sonographer, but also the community in, in general. So um, why don't you describe for our audience what a normal day is like when in your business, when you're scanning small animals, and including maybe some of the challenges that you face on a day-to-day -day basis when you're performing veterinary ultrasound? Yeah, so <sighs> every day is different, as you noted in the beginning of the conversation. Um, we have quite a few general practice um, hospitals and they usually schedule a couple days a week out and so if they're on our schedule we'll go there and here in Denver we cover pretty much all of the emergency facilities so it's like an on-call ultrasound job um, they call us we go in get all of the patient information, the history. Uh, we do have a couple of clients who allow the owners in the room, which is actually really nice um, to have them in there. It helps the animals stay calm and they can help hold the animals. Depending on animal temperament, sometimes we have to sedate them. So that is something with human medicine that you can't do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> as um, much as you want to. Sometimes <laughs> we wish we could. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you work in pediatrics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we sedate some of the animals. And then typically we do have to shave the animals as well. So Emily and I have become pretty good groomers. <laughs> Could be a side gig. Uh, and then we perform the ultrasound. We give the vets our preliminary results. And we send all of our exams to our radiologists. And then they get our reports back to us and we send them to the hospitals. Okay. Now, as your radiologist, um, do they specifically only read veterinary and ultrasound? Or do they, was this a radiologist you worked they do. with? They do. They're board-certified radiologists and cardiologists. 
Okay. Veterinarian. 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 Radiologist. Okay. And cardiologist. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So they, they provide on their reports, findings, conclusions, and then recommendations. And it gets extensive as recommending a certain dose of medication sometimes. Okay. Wow. How cool. Yeah. So I think, I think that's one of the challenges we do face. Um, in human medicine, the radiologists, it's how it's set up where the sonographer scans and the radiologist reads. And that building that trust has been a little difficult because it's a newer model. Okay. Mm-hmm. So building the trust amongst the interpreting physician. And the sonographer Correct. probably, right? And mm-hmm. Knowing that the yep. exam's being performed. And veterinary radiologists, when they're in their education, they're not really taught how to dictate. It's more they're taught to perform their own exams. Okay. Yeah. So they perform the exam. They are interpreting it as they go along, and they don't really have to generate a report that's sent out to a referring physician. Gotcha. Correct. In this okay. case. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you and guys just are like just human medicine. <laughs> it's definitely, as Michelle said, a new model. Um, but it's essentially, in terms of the volumes, as many people know, during COVID, everyone got a dog at least in Denver, <laughs> but yes. from, you know, nationwide, I think people were stuck at home and everybody wanted a puppy. So the, you know, the volume, the number of pets that are out there that need and uh, access to ultrasound is, is huge. Um, and so really the number of radiologists that are available, is, it, it, it can't, you know, it doesn't come close to being able to serve the community needs yeah. um, really all over the nation. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. So I think that's, Exactly. That's where this model, I think, is is so great um, that, again, similar to the human model, it it almost needs to transition that way because of the volumes in itself. Hmm. Um, Sonographers doing the exams and radiologists um, reading, often from the comfort of their own homes, um, reading the exams. That's interesting. And I was wondering if, do you have any practices where... um, the veterinarians may have been to a course, you know, and they know the basics and uh, or maybe they've they, they've done more extensive training, but they just don't have the time to do the scans and interpret and, and so forth. Do you have any of your um, practices where you perform the exams, but the veterinarian that's there interprets them themselves without having to wait to send to a radiologist and get the report back? We don't. Um, all of our practices, they they respect the the radiologist, um, and they're not comfortable enough even mm-hmm. looking at the ultrasound. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure if they had a little bit more experience, they would. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like human medicine. Um, I guess it would you equate that to like a PCP, a general practice provider, mm-hmm. wouldn't wouldn't want to look at ultrasound images and provide a read from that. And yeah. my PCP wouldn't. So um, there's there's definitely those kind of professional guidelines and scope of practice. And in fact, just like human medicine, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's guidelines in place in veterinary that uh, recommend 
um, that all ultrasound reports are read by board certified radiologists. Yeah, well, that so makes sense. Versus general practice, CVMs, um, or other doctors with, with different specialties. They really, you know, and that's one thing our company feels very strongly about that um, radiologists have that skill set. They went to school for a very long time um, and should be providing those reads. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that transitions us nicely into my next question. Do you have any specific patient stories that stand out pertaining to, um, you know, an ultrasound service that helped a patient in a certain way? Anything off the top of your head? Oh, I mean, daily, really. These people, they don't have, without us, they wouldn't have the ultrasounds. And so they would be basing diagnostics on x-ray which as we said earlier isn't always conclusive um procedures would be performed without us we do a lot of procedure guidance with the ultrasound and if that hospital doesn't have an ultrasound in-house they're sticking the needle in blindly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like in mm-hmm. yeah. market right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and i would i would say you know not not speaking to a specific story, but one of the things that I think is really probably the most difficult about this field is finding really sad, um, you know, finding very sad uh, diagnoses that mm-hmm. may be terminal, for example. Um, but what we've found is that sometimes finding cancers, for example, that you know, metastasized, which is unfortunately very common. And our patients, that may give these owners a little bit of peace of mind in making a really difficult decision. And I know, speaking personally, um, you know, I had a I had a 14 year old dog that we lost during COVID, and um, you know, they just sometimes they go with just old age. But even knowing that they're it's their time to have to make that decision without having an idea of what what is the reason that I'm having to make this decision. To be able to let that owner know there's liver cancer, it's metastasized everywhere. You know, there's probably no amount of chemotherapy if they even choose to go that route that's going to help this patent. Mm-hmm. So I think that peace of mind, although it's really difficult as a sonographer, you know, to, to come up with those answers, um, really helps the owners um, make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That was what one of the things that I was wondering about because, you know, you did mention you send everything out to a radiologist, but in those kind of situations, oftentimes you're, you're bringing your pet in because they've, um, you know, they've collapsed, they can't walk and, or, you know, they've just gotten increasingly, um, lethargic and, you know, unable to maybe eat or get around or whatever the case may be. And so at that point, when you're bringing your, your pet into the veterinarian, if they don't um, offer ultrasound services, they are going to usually get their x-rays. But as the sonographer performing those ultrasound scans, are you the one that is, you know, explaining to the, the um, I want to say the parent, but <laughs> the parent, <laughs> the owner, <laughs> the owner um, what the findings are, or are you scanning them, then talking to the veterinarian, and then the veterinarian is coming in and relaying that information? Or is that something that is basically you're doing the exam, and then you'll, you know, kind of like in the human market, we're not telling our patients what we see, um, as we're not legally allowed to give a diagnosis. So um, 
are you telling the veterinarian and then maybe you're transmitting those images immediately to a radiologist and then conferring with the vet and then he's coming in, he or she is coming in or how, how does that work? Because I know that's a difficult situation there. Mm -hmm. That's exactly how it works. Um, we, we take the images, we talk to the vet, um, send them off right away and we get our reports back usually within the hour. And then they use those reports to talk to the pet parents. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to have to be the one to tell somebody that about their dog no. or cat or whichever pet they have on my table. Yeah, it's hard. I've been in that position before. I had a dog that was very ill, and we kept, you know, trying to see what was wrong. And I actually, we took him to a vet, one of the veterinary offices that we did the um training videos at where we did uh, some scanning and recording. And, and I went to him because I knew he was an expert in the field. And I was in the room when they were scanning the dog. And I you know, clearly saw there was liver mats. There was, you know, it was just heartbreaking. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you kind of have it in your mind. You know it's going to be, it's not going to be good, but you're hoping for the best. And then the person, I'm not the one doing the scan, but I'm watching and I know what I'm looking at, you know. So it's definitely, I can see how that would be difficult to position to be in. But, but at the same time, they have a visual, um, you know, visual image to be able to see what's going on, which helps to bring more peace of mind in making those decisions. So, so in that mm -hmm. regard, it's, mm -hmm. it's very, very helpful. Yeah. But it's also nice on the flip side, back to, you know, some of our foreign objects, foreign bodies mm -hmm. in puppies. I mean, it's, it's so rewarding to be able to find those things. Um, and essentially, I mean, it's almost daily where we're able to save a, a young dog's life. Yeah. Um, you know, by, by identifying some of those. So, you, you know, we definitely get the, the sad stories, but it, it's so rewarding and it's different than human medicine in that it's so quick how we are able to identify things. The vet is there to, you know, provide a consult and then they're going to surgery pretty immediately. Right. Right. So I think in a sense, there's like a little bit less red tape um, than the human world. And it's just, you get more of that immediate, um, you know, kind of gratification that what you're doing is really, really helping very right. quickly, which is mm -hmm. great. Right. And that kind of relates to using ultrasound in the, in the emergency setting and point of care where it exactly. expedites the time to diagnosis, which then translates into uh, minimizing the amount of time you have to wait to get treatment. Um, and in many cases, that mm -hmm. treatment can be done under ultrasound guidance, which provides more accuracy and quality of care and safety for the for the pet. So um, definitely a, a need for ultrasound in veterinary medicine and um, benefits Absolutely. all involved. It's <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Okay. So um, that kind of leads us to um, the last uh, area that we have on, on our list of things to discuss. You might want to add some more things to it, but um, you know, basically, it would appear that in our discussions here that an experienced sonographer um, could expand their skill sets to include veterinary medicine, which would enable them to expand their career opportunities, um, provide a little bit more um, 
variation in their day-to-day activities and and uh, just have may- maybe offer a, a rewarding um, career change. So uh, what kind of suggestions would you have for sonographers who may be listening that might be interested in making a career change or uh, adding that skill set to um, supplement or augment what they're already doing in a clinical setting in the human market? Yeah, um, this is definitely a, a change uh, and an avenue in ultrasound that's very different. And we're we're really excited as a company to be able to kind of be at the forefront of this and um, offer new opportunities for people that are looking for a change. And um, so, yeah, this is, this is something we're really excited to talk to those experienced sonographers about. And our company specifically does require that you have a, um, that you're registered, ARDMF registered in abdomen. Of course, additional registries are great. Um, but then, you know, having that human background, and again, I just can't stress the, the knowledge that you gain in um, a program to four years of acoustic physics. Having all of that really helps the transition into small animals, mm-hmm. um, kind of expedite that transition. So that's kind of what we're looking for in our employees, for example. Um, mm-hmm. And then we internally, and, so within, sorry, go ahead, Michelle. I was just um, going to interject there. And we both come from an educational background. So we've created a pretty thorough veterinary ultrasound training program for all of our sonographers, um, mm-hmm. especially with me coming from veterinary education. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So we just really want to make sure that our sonographers are fully prepared to transition into the veterinary world. We give them education, scanning experiences, and we are very close-knit team. We help each other probably five times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. A lot of sharing cases and, hey, will you look at this? And what do you think about this? Um, But that's, again, something that we're really excited to be able to offer. There's really no formal pathway for this career. Uh, And so that's why we think that having this kind of established training in place is really, really important. And we hope to see kind of in the veterinary community and field, we hope to see that grow more. Um, eventually, maybe we would love to see a national credential be created. We just want to make sure that um, sonographers, you know, in any field are being held ac- accountable for their skill sets. So um, that's one thing that we're, as a company, we're really, really excited to offer. Well, that's great. That's awesome. And um, I think that's really important. I think if you're a registered sonographer you, um, and you have the experience and expertise in the human market, that that skill set definitely easily translates into the veterinary market. But there's a lot of differences as well and some challenges mm-hmm. that you need to be aware of and have that, that guidance by someone like yourself um, who have that experience mm-hmm. in the veterinary market. So the, the, you know, the fact that you, when you bring on new 
sonographers to join your team that you provide that that training and education to help in the transition not some probably not so much um, huge difference in some of the um, ultrasound findings and from normal to abnormal and a lot of the things um, look similar but there's I'm sure some things that do and and just how you actually the changes in scanning technique and so forth are a little bit different and so mm -hmm. you know that definitely is something that would be needed, I would think, that when you're bringing somebody on board that you got to give them that kind of that transitional uh, training and kind of an internship, like, yeah. you know, that, that they um, get that firsthand experience observing and performing um, supervised before they get put out on their own solo. So um, anyone well, I, out there? I know there's a lot of people out there who just perk their ears because uh -huh. on – any Facebook group or any of these groups that I'm in with sonographers are always talking about, I wish I had a company that would invest in me. I wish I had a company that would help me grow my skill set. I wish I had a company that I worked with other people who they wanted to discuss the cases and really work together mm -hmm. to improve our patient care. And that's everything that you guys are offering somebody. So sounds like a really great opportunity for any of those RDMSs out there listening. Yep. So anyone listening, mm -hmm. yeah. um, we'll ha have uh, Emily and Michelle's uh, company information available to you. and Yeah, in the show notes, it'll be there. And, yep, absolutely. Well, I think we are running out of some time here, but mm -hmm. is there any additional comments either one of you would like to make, share with our audience? No, we're just excited to be a part of this field. And if anybody's interested in this exciting new adventure, let us know. Um, it's definitely kind of um, the new frontier, but we're really excited to be able to help out all of our furry friends, as you said, Trisha. Yes, our furry <laughs> friends, they need us. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Emily, Michelle, for joining us today. This has been a great um, conversation that we've had on Veterinary Ultrasound and your company and the services that you offer. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media and so you don't miss any episode coming up in the future. So thanks again, everyone. Have a great day and happy scanning. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Sonography Lounge. Don't forget... If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, at Sonography Lounge, and Twitter, at Sonography LNG. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, feel free to send an email to us at sonographylounge at gmail.com. Have a great week, and scan, scan, scan. Thank you.